But Patrick Hale, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, director, writer, Body Electric. I want to. I first uh, want to delve into Body Electric because I was checking that out um, as a Mafian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. We've. It's been. Uh, it's been. It's been slow going um obviously most of the production started this year um and i thought uh i thought that it would be a nice way for people to uh kind of connect and get together safely um like in rather large spaces we we were in um but uh i thought it would be kind of a cool thing because people were like indoors a lot so um I got I got a team together, my brother and Joe and and uh, Sean and us all built these like uh, five foot models, and, <laughs> and and they turned out amazing actually. So we're gonna and we got warehouse space and everything. So, um, but getting them out um, to actually build these things was a logistical kind of a logistical nightmare because of COVID. Um, but uh, we ended up getting a lot done, and uh, now we are going into the warehouse and actually shooting these um, for the live-action trailer that I want to release before December 31st. Yeah. Yeah, I um, mean, this is, this is incredible. This is intense. Uh, <laughs> have you read... Oh, what the hell was it? Have you... So it's the... So so. have you read 20... Was it 2069 and then 3001, The Final Odyssey? I haven't read uh, the final Odyssey. Um, okay, was that still Arthur C. Clarke? Did Arthur C. Clarke still write that one, or was so, that like his son or something? Yeah. So you know, long story short, Arthur C. Clarke wrote a short called The Sentinel. Uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick got a hold of it. They expound. They they expanded upon it for 2001: A Space Odyssey, and then he and then Arthur C. Clarke wrote three follow-up novels. 2010, the year mm -hmm. uh, the second Odyssey, which they made into a movie. 2010 the year we make contact and then he wrote 2069 i want to say and then he wrote 3001 and so when i was watching this the first thing i noticed was that these towers going into space mm -hmm. and that and that was a big that was sort of an aspect into sort of the sort of the ending of 2069 and and then and then and then the 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 major advancements in 3001 where they did it with like diamonds being travel devices, <laughs> communication devices. I don't, it, I read it so long ago that it, it was. Yeah. But, I mean, his writing's pretty dense too. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, well, because I mean, the guy knew what he was talking about, which is, which is why uh, I think um, Stanley Kubrick uh, wanted to write with him because Stanley Kubrick said uh, for, for all of his flaws, he's uh, he's really good at um, um, realism. Yeah. Making it, even even with a, Mary, a movie like Barry Lyndon, um, Stanley Kubrick, you know, went to the actual places and went to like the ruins, and they had them like sleep out there for weeks and have training, and and so I wanted to take that sort of mentality and um, apply it to the same science fiction that I want, I wanted to write and uh, direct. And so I actually went to um, uh, one of my favorite futurists, um, uh, 
who actually bears the namesake um, Isaac Arthur, uh, who's on YouTube, um, and he's he's great. Um, he's a he's a wonderful scientist, but he thinks in in uh, practical applications of futuristic ideas. Mm -hmm. So there was one episode that had a uh, space elevator in it. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. A space elevator. And uh, then he kind of broke down um, how, it, how it could be possible. And he's, then he said something interesting. He said, this could be done right now. And he's like, there are in fact people that are doing it. So then I, I contacted uh, Brian Verstig, who um, is a conceptualist, uh, conceptual artist for NASA and had a conversation with him. And he's just like, he's, he's like, a, just like us. He's like a 35 year old dude. Um, he's got a kid like running around and uh, he's drawing these amazing um, concepts for NASA. And so we kind of storyboarded this, uh, this uh, concept where we were using an asteroid as ballast. Um, so, and material and a base of operations for everything that goes outside of the, outside of Earth. Um, but, I then asked him, like, okay, so I want to build a space elevator. Would I build it from the ground up or would I build, build it from, you know, top down? And he's like, you would never build it from the ground up um, because you just couldn't get as high as you wanted because of weight and all these, because of gravity, essentially. So he's like, the only way to build it really was, is to, like, toss a fishing line down, like, literally. Yeah. Uh, and just let it go. And then mm. someone attaches a bigger rope to it and you haul it up and then, and then it begin becomes this like uh, sort of uh, what the inside of a bouncy ball would look like a like rubber bands sort of yeah um, and he's like there'd be things going up and down this like re constantly repairing the wire and I just took that idea and I ran with it and um, I wanted to also um, shoot it all of it in practical most of it in practical effects um, so then uh, I had to learn how to model we all learned how to model um, we had a a crash course in modeling essentially we're like what do we use that's better do we use uh you know plywood do we use uh you know mat board do we use cardboard uh how do we stick these things together what you know because hot glue looks like crap do we use rubber cement do we use spray adhesive you know how do we not poison each other in these rooms while, <laughs> you know working on these huge things right it was a hell of a learning prep like yeah do you make it out of balsa wood like everyone's like, oh, well, I, I think you build models out of balsa wood, right? And so we tried that and that was terrible. So we ended up with like a combination of mat board, cardboard. And then uh, I, I got the guys interested in 3D printing. So then I um, printed out a whole, uh, I made greebles for it. And so we would have these like little plastic pieces that look like, uh, you know, various chunks of what, what you would find on a space elevator, I guess, control shafts and cranks and yeah and uh and it's and, and and it worked and i can't believe it i don't know if it was a stroke of luck or whether it was a you know a certain degree of intrepidity that we all had but um but the end product was it i think it made us all go oh that's how they did it and uh and so now i have to now i'm in the process of designing a motion control rig so i can uh sort of move the camera to scale and uh, uh what what does that look like what kind of scale is this what what, what does a window look like like a standard now today window what would it look like 
at at scale? Would it be like this big, or would it be like this big? Um, and then, so then, then you narrow it down, and you're like, okay, well, I can't shoot. Uh, uh, obviously, I don't want to put a person in front of it because I don't want to give us the illusion of of scale. And so you're like, okay, how big are bigger the vehicles in this in this place? And and uh, then you have to design the vehicles. So it's like one thing after the other. Um, but uh, but it's it's so much fun, and and a lot of people have started to. Oh, uh, Foundation just came out, I think on Apple, um, which has a space elevator. And I totally forgot that Isaac Asimov <laughs> wrote that in a Foundation 50 years ago. Um, so I'm now rereading Foundation. Uh, I think ours is better. Right. So, Found, uh, so, so Foundation by Asimov. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, it's really I don't want to say difficult, but sometimes it's, I guess, for lack of a better word, it's difficult for me to get back into reading. There were times when I was just binge reading things like, like, like I, well, obviously I've seen the movies 2001 and 2010, but then I just binge, binge read uh, 2069, 3001. And then I tried to read, you know, some other Arthur C. Clarke stuff. And then I wanted to delve into like Philip K. Dick stuff because, you know, Blade Runner and Minority Report and, you know, being a movie buff, you know, you kind of want to start reading what has stuff by the author that has been right. uh, made into a movie. Um, but yeah, Asimov is definitely. I have some of his stuff on on the Kindle to like get around to, you know, sooner than later. But I yeah, I, I'm a I'm. It's, it's I, I I I do the audio books now. Yeah. But even that's sort of, I feel like I'm cheating. You know what I mean? Like, I can't say I read it. Like, people, yeah, you people, can. people always come to me and they're like, like, oh, man, I just read the, you know, Sister of the Traveling Pants. And I'm like, you didn't read it. You, you listened to it. Hey, listen. no, it's, no, it, no, it's fine. I mean, listen, if, if you were able, if someone else read it to you and you paid attention and you absorbed it, then but maybe. You wouldn't, say, you wouldn't say you read it if you, it was your mom reading it to then, you. All right, what's the term for that then? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess you. I, I ingested it. Just like footage. I ingested it. Not ingested it. I, uh, <laughs> I absorbed it. I, exper <laughs> I, I, experienced, I experienced the book. I experienced and, it. And, and it's better. <laughs> it's better. I like, I like audiobooks. Readings? Sort of a pain in the ass now. I'm my hands used to the weight of a phone, and like a book, it's just like nah, I don't need this. Yeah, well, I that's why you know I I do my best to like Kindle, or or ebook stuff to the, to the best of my ability. But sometimes, man, I mean, like uh, I'm not necessarily an author or a writer. It, I want to I want to I want to experience what it is I do, and so I'm the one that's like, no, I'm gonna watch a movie instead. But then, okay, if, here we are. We're filmmakers. We want, let's say, you know, we're a big fan of uh, Arthur C. Clarke. We want to make, we want to continue to make movies on his work. Right. We we got to at least read the book somehow or experience it. Yeah, I mean, and how do you, especially during this, um, during COVID, I I was going I, I was going out of my mind. A lot of people were, but um, I had to. I was like, if I'm sitting at home. And all I'm doing is editing, um, you know, some corporate 
you know, they, they're sending me footage now of, of something they did at the office because they can't fly us out there now because of all these COVID restrictions. And it's the worst footage ever, but I still have to do it. Like, why am I not doing, why am I not like reading more about, um, you know, all these other things? And, and uh, I, I just felt a little bit embarrassed after a while that I wasn't doing anything. So I, I sort of galvanized the team and, and uh, <laughs> made everyone be interested in something again. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I think everyone has lost that now. Everyone's kind of, I look around and everyone's kind of sad. Well, have you, so ha, has this project you've been working on, has this been during quarantine? Has, is, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. Um, I, uh, I started. Well, when did you guys start, yeah. Yeah, I started, uh, it was, was it this year? It couldn't have been this year. Maybe it was this year. Uh, I, I was, I was between, Michael, Michael Adams, my writing partner, and I uh, were stuck. We had written a screenplay <clears throat> called The Journey Back, and uh, a science fiction screenplay, but, but uh, uh, we wanted to deal with time travel, and we were just, we had written it, and we reread it, and we were like, this is, <laughs> this is bad. And, uh, and we were like, we gotta rewrite this. We gotta just start from scratch and go back. And the thought of that was so daunting that we were like, but before that, let's write something else. Let's make sure we can write something that we can film instead of writing a film that we're going to try and sell that has like big special effects and like all this stuff. Let's write a practical um, twenty-minute twenty-minute film um, that is set in a universe that we built that we can that we can film with a small crew, like by production company. So it's just like five or six people um with our cameras um for like five thousand bucks that was the that was the idea and so we sat down and we um looked at the stories we loved and and i know i wanted to do um i know i wanted to do something that was uh with robots and i wanted to do a morality tale and i wanted to do um a universe that's not as all of the science fiction now it's just everything is out to like kill you and there's no real ethical drama it's yeah. it's more it's more like a soap opera in space which is not what i want to watch um i want to watch star trek 1994 height of the series interesting um episodic uh, uh science fiction that's what i want and i think most dudes my age <clears throat> uh, and women um like that because it's it's interesting on many layers so i wanted to write that like the next generation type of yeah yeah it's like a, like a standalone story that like had, had you know dealt with real issues and and wasn't um wasn't exactly a one-for-one one of society today but was uh, maybe took a, a closer look at um some of the issues that we were dealing with um like uh you know, everything that happened this year with um uh, black lives matter and um voter suppression and uh, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but I think we all know who he is. And uh, but I wanted to sort of write something like that that was decidedly 2020. And I think we got there, and 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 um, it was kind of um, uh, because I was sitting at home, and I was like, I'm going to build it. I'm going to just make a CD because it was not. It's not written like that. <laughs> there's there's no mention. There's no mention of a space tower, a space elevator anywhere in the screenplay. 
Right. And so, but we had to build a world, right? So I was like, why not? Let's just build. Why can't we do it? Why can't like John Dykstra and and Lucas had like a warehouse that there's eight dudes yeah. with like camera equipment. They built like a Death Star, and the Death Star was only it was like eight pool tables, and they had just you know taken apart a bunch of battleship components and and paid and put it on there. And I was like, why aren't people doing this anymore? Right. It, it looks great. It like yeah. it looks like a real thing because it was real. Um, and I was like, we'll do that. And you know what? It fucking looks great. And yeah. It works. Um, so, but I, uh, I wanted to also delve into three D programming. So I, I Unreal. The, they made the Unreal Engine free. Anyone can download yeah. this amazing tool and 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 not only make a you know, a good picture or a good video, but they can mess around with like video game development. Um, yeah. So uh, and so I got into that, and then I was like, holy shit, this is. This is amazing. So not only do I have body electric, but I also, uh, uh, I also, you can also walk around the world, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So you can basically walk around the world of body electric and go to like, there's like a pub and, and, you know, I want to go up to the asteroid. So I made miles and miles of asteroid. And, uh, this guy contacted me from LinkedIn and he was like, how many polygons is this? And because I've never, um, 3d modeled before, like I had no idea what's a lot of polygons. And he was like, what's the polygon count in your blender? And uh, and I was like, I'm up to like 25 million. And he's like, what? He's like, you've got to shut some of that off. Is your, is your computer running really slow? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, just do check all these things. And I did. And, and so I was like, I'm going to get to know you better. Um, you're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong. So, but just everyone is doing YouTube tutorials for free that are better than anything you can learn in college. Yeah. Just yeah. all that knowledge is just sitting there. And, and that's, and, and, you know, going back to, you know, what are we doing in this quarantine? And I ran out of stuff. I had so much stuff in the can that we had shot pre COVID and I started editing, but now I've got, you know, screenplays, you know, features and shorts. And like, okay, I've the second that unreal thing, the second I saw that available for free, I said, all right, this is, I can start designing a game or at least a universe. And I could probably take this technology half Unreal and then half After Effects, half Final Cut, and, uh, you know, start making, uh, start dabbling with, like, motion comics. And then start dabbling with, uh, so, about, about three years ago, me, me, and, me and some partners, we started, we started, we started two different web series. And, you know, I'll, Long story short, because I've, I've brought it up on this podcast before, but yeah. if you're familiar with those ID crime shows, we, we, I, I thought I, I played a detective on like 80 of those episodes of those crime shows, you know, a detective interrogating somebody, yelling at somebody at the crime scene, kind of investigating it. And then it dawned on me like, okay, I see how independently these are produced, how low budget, what, and then it, and it dawned on me, what if, what if Bruce Wayne went home, had a cocktail, and watched ID? What would those episodes be about, and how would they look? And so we we started our own crime show based in the DC universe, our own crime show based in the Marvel universe, nice. and and then to be like super fanboyish, we chose like the C level villains, not even like the B or A level villains, like the C, really obscure, 
but because we're, we're trying to tap into like, okay, it's this production, kind of like crime shows. People dig crime shows, but people are also huge on the superhero phenomenon that's been happening for the last 15 years. People, but big thing on YouTube is these origin, these like super villain, super, super villain origins. So it's like three or four kind of aspects all tied into one. And, I, and then, and so, okay, I've been on the set and I'm always the detective in the dramatic reenactments. Well, it's easy to throw some people against a green screen, but how do we get these dramatic reenactments? So we started going to Comic-Cons, filming cosplayers and all sorts of different costumes. And, mm -hmm. hey, hey, throw me some crazy moves and we'll obscure it and blur it and throw some weird, you know, like blue, black and blue or, or dark, obscure, bluish effects on it. Kind of like those shows always have. Yeah. Then, the then the quarantine happened. And so not only can I not go to Comic-Cons and film cosplayers, but every freaking cosplayer wants to be Harley Quinn and Batman and Wonder Woman and, and Captain America. They're not going to be Rat Catcher. They've never heard of Rat Catcher or the Penny Plunderer or, uh, or Grizzly, which is some... I, I, what, what I could imagine these guys um, uh, being also... like they, they spend a lot of time on their costumes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Like, like that's a, like a thing. Like that, that's one time a year, it's working up to that costume... Um, where they're going to play Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. But, I mean, listen, I'm still going to film them, and I'm still getting some quality footage from some quality costume, costume, makeup, and prop experts. These th these guys and gals are incredible. How do you sell them, how do you sell them on, on doing a C-level um, villain then? Exactly my point. So, you know, I, you know, I linked up with a couple on Instagram, showed them what I'm doing, and... So, for example, let's just say, you know, Batman's always beating up somebody. So I'm using the footage of Batman kind of like in this dramatic reenactment, kind of like that music, bum, 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 comes in. But I, I don't have cosplayers dressed up like Ratcatcher. But the idea is maybe use Unreal and, you know, you create these two bodies and I can put that outfit on each one and actually have a fight between Ratcatcher and Batman in Unreal. And then on top of that, export that, then throw it in Final Cut, blur it, do the do the weird obscure. I can I can like crop in and do some weird obscure Ken Burns type camera effects and some blur effects and some color effects. And it would look real because un because Unreal is kicking out such high quality, high res Super. renders. Yeah. Yeah. And so that could be my dramatic reenactment. And then once we get back out here, you know, taking, you know, taking into account these cosplayers down the road, these could be the folks that we go to for, you know, this new media, this, uh, th this, you know, strange experimental kind of project that we have going. But if there's no comic cons, I'm not going to do a zoom shoot. <laughs> and, and Ooh, you know, yeah, God. That would be so bad. Um, but how? Okay, so so you're at the Comic Con. You find uh, Ratcatcher. No, I don't. Like well, no right, but, but, okay, so so in no scenario. But even if you did, then what? You would go. Like, hey, them. yeah, like like you know, I pull them to a side and be like, hey, you know, I'm working on this project. This is what we're doing. Can I get some moves? Can I get some, you know, can I get some poses? Can I get some fight stances? And I would usually have, you know, like, for example, best, you know, best case scenario, I, I'm always getting a Batman or a Captain America or a Spider-Man. So mm -hmm. I'd say, hey, throw me some, you know, throw me some action 
action scenes together and they might do a couple of kicks. I'm like, you know, for safety purposes, just go half speed, you know, keep it real slow, keep it real cool because I'm really going to slow it down anyway. Sure. Right. You know what I'm saying? And like you're going in slow-mo. Yeah. It's always, in, it's, so they're kind of doing it slow, but I'm going to slow-mo it even more. I'm shooting at a really high frame rate. And so when I pump it, when I drop it down to 24, it's like uber slow-mo very dramatic, very slow-mo artsy matrix like mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for the show. But the thing is, I can't, okay. I reach from a production, from a budget standpoint, from what I'm, from what I'm putting in and from what cosplayers are putting in, am I going to reach out to a cosplayer and say, Hey, do this. I can't pay you. You know, we're on such a low budget. I can't pay you, but Hey, make a costume for Ratcatcher, I'll meet you. They're probably not going to do that because they, they're going to do what they want to do, right? But I've seen some bizarre costumes. I've seen some intricate, crazy costumes. Someone was, someone was playing a character from a completely obscure RPG video game, and it, but it still looked like a Stark suit, a Tony Stark suit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I still filmed them, and I still added my effects and added my, um, you know, uh, post-production effects and, and the, my whole thing to it. Do you and have look, a, do you have a pilot episode yet? Or yeah, we actually, we have, we're up to season, uh, se- second seasons of both, both things on our, on oh, our channel. Oh, on okay. our channel. Okay. Yeah. I, I can definitely send you a link. So please, please. I, and, thought, I, I thought you were leading up to, um, uh, COVID put up hard stop on my okay but you already have covid kind of put a hard stop on season three and season uh, producing the third and fourth seasons but we're we're still we're still doing that and uh we're we're, you know expensive man i i just got i got um uh i i I was having this um recurring uh sort of dream uh that i wanted to make into a a full size Uh, so this is basically I wanted to do all of the things that I love to do. So one of the things that I wanted to do was like, uh, I wanted to create like a alien, you know, but where do you start that? What, what is that process? Um, and then I had, I kept on having a dream about like this, um, this, this brat being caught in, in a cage and like a bunch of wires. So I was like, instead of wires, I can just pour paint into slots and then have the costume inside. So it looks like it's kind of dripping oil in like different, levels and i was like okay that's kind of a cool image and then i was like but i don't want to do just a close-up i want to get like a fucking a wide shot of them and so i had this i drew it all out and um and i started to price it out and uh uh because i 3d printed i could uh 3d print all of the tail that i needed in like you know descending order um, so you can print like you know, a reticulating rat tail, which is actually what this thing is. Oh, it's a it's a it's a skeletal rat. Um, so I print out a skeletal tail, and uh, that's reticulating and goes back and forth. And uh, I ordered a seventy dollar Etsy mask because I couldn't, I just didn't have the um, the skills to make one myself. But like that is even an Etsy mask, it, like that's a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, seventy five bucks. So I can imagine full-size suits, made to order, um, special sizes. Uh, it would have been, it's, you know, you're dealing with like four or 400, $500, maybe a thousand probably. Uh, but that's way beyond the budget of 
anything you know we can do. And so, yeah, if you were if you were to go back, I mean, I've I've talked to a number of some of the the associate producers of the the the, the real world crime shows, mm-hmm. you know, and there's and and they pretty much tell me, you know, like each episode is probably twenty five thousand, anywhere between fifteen to twenty five thousand per app. So mm-hmm. that's so that's ten. So let's say there's ten apps. That's you know that could be a quarter of a million per season. If there's is that, 10 with, is that with uh, just is that with the whole production? Cat, each 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 episode each episode roughly comes out to maybe okay. let's say let's say twenty thousand twenty thousand dollars just for an episode that's like a week or two production you got cash you got crew and and still with a with a with a you know small it, it was always a small crew and maybe you know uh, you got a bunch of different detectives maybe on the case some mm-hmm. of the perps some of the witnesses some of the family members they're always doing the dramatic reenactments I don't I, I, who knows how much it costs to have like those experts, you know, those talking to heads sitting against a green screen. They shoot that, you know, at a studio, maybe in New York or LA, who knows how much those experts are to come in and discuss the case. Or, you know, a lot of times they have one of the real detectives that was on the case. Right. Discussing it too. I mean, a lot of times these shows have a host. How much is that host per season? How much is that host per episode? So all these different factors. Now, Okay, let's take a look at that number, but but you said it. We're dealing with we're not dealing with just regular dudes, you know. Every, every other husband that kills their wife is wearing what you know, like a t-shirt and jeans, a hoodie, a jacket. Mm-hmm. Every detective is wearing um, you know a, a, a suit jacket, a button-up shirt, and a tie, and a, and a gun holster. But we're talking about DC and Marvel supervillains, so you got some intricate, crazy costumes. You got superheroes. You got Thor. With lightning yeah. coming out of a hand ha- hammer, beating up these, you know, supervillains. You got Batman beating up these supervillains. You got these supervillains that have super costumes and weapons and gadgets, and they're bizarre. I, I, I just watched. Uh, I we we rewatched some Batman and Batman Returns. Old Tim Burton, his fingerprints are all over those movies. But mm-hmm. those those movies are. Oh, this were the works of art. Yes, yeah. the, the costume design, the set design, uh, eighteen sound stages, nineteen eighty nine, Britain, Tim Burton. He, he he must have pulled some strings. Like that must have been a tough, tough sell. The Batman in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to be a fly on on that wall inside the. At that um, that meeting when he was selling it, um, because yeah, the, you're talking about astronomical amounts of money for just a costume, just just costume, makeup, and props. And so, and 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 I, and like I said, I've played a detective on a number of these shows, or I've played a cop on a number of these shows. And if I'm a detective, they're telling me bring my own stuff. I got my own wardrobe set aside. I've got suit, a couple of different suit jackets, maybe ten different button up shirts 10 different ties you know three different slacks i bring it all to set and they're like you know where this where this what they, they didn't even, they're not even paid for wardrobe because nine out of ten times they're asking actors to bring their own wardrobe and that's how i know when, when i see that in the casting i'm like oh i see the kind of level this is i mean i yeah. love it and and it, and it pays pretty well and i and i love doing it we're on i mean i'm on tv so there's no complaints there is this ID? Is this ID Discovery? Investigation Discovery. Yeah. Yes, I work. I work, dude. I've edited some of your shows, probably. Yeah. I, I, I did. Uh, yeah, I spent um, I spent some time at uh, Discovery, 
uh, they gave me my first uh, assistant editor position um, years, like 12, 12 years ago. Um, but I remember wow. Investigation Discovery, I was working on, uh, we were ingesting footage from those um, XD cams um, that they were mm -hmm. shooting back in the day. Uh, but yeah, it's were you, there, actually. So were uh, you at Discovery in Silver Spring? I was, I was. Because I, I, I actually worked at Discovery 04 to 09 at the, at the warehouse. Wait, um, you're not talking about Discovery Studios, right? I'm, talk I'm talking about that, that little promo, you know, in Silver Spring, but off Kennett Street, the little promo building where they cut all the promos. Uh, I, I think you're talking about Discovery Studios. That, that's, probably, that's, yeah. That, that's what, yeah, yeah, it was like, um, it was like off, it was like around the corner and behind yep. you had to walk by like a shopping center. Yep. Right. And then, then it, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's where I, yep. Yeah. That's probably that how. That was a weird place. Wait, well, I was doing like, um, they gave me the, the shittiest shifts. <laughs> so new. So I got like the one o'clock to 7 a.m. ingesting like uh, fucking um, dog. What was it? Um, dog footage. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, were for um, puppy puppy bowl, yeah, uh, man. Hours of ID discovery and puppy bowl footage. Oh yeah, hours. everybody everybody loved puppy bowl because that was actually an, an original original production. Yes, of yep. discovery in that they shot it in that studio in that warehouse, and everybody mm -hmm. was so excited because we're actually holding a camera, whereas yep. everything everything else was produced by you know uh, outside production houses. I, which I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I, like, when I went there, I thought, like, uh, I was under the impression that Discovery shot all of the things that Discovery did. And yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, they just acquire it. Yeah. Acquire it. There's yeah. If you're, right. yeah. If you're Sirens Media, if you're Sirens Media or your Storyhouse Productions, you pitch the show to Discovery and they'll advance you whatever for a pilot. And so you shoot the pilot and they're like, okay, we love it. This is our 80th crime show, but we love it. So we'll green light you for like two more seasons. And so, and then, and then they start shooting the seasons and then I get the call to play a detective in something. And then like six months later, I see it on ID, but yeah, they don't shoot. They don't directly produce. They, you know, they, they commission shows from production houses. Yeah. It blew, it blew me away. I yeah. was like, it made me not want to work there anymore. Well, that's, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to badmouth anybody, but I did leave myself and, and, and then and went full-time freelance and just bounced from gig to gig. And uh, the, the upside to that, I mean, is I think some, year, some years later, I got a call from a buddy of mine who is still at Discovery. Mm -hmm. And he goes, dude, I just saw you in a show. Is, was that you? Are you acting now? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that was me. So, I mean, you know, a few little highlights here and there in life with the uh, it was made to, it's made to churn, it's not, um, it was so weird, man, I, I grew up, I loved Discovery Channel, like, that was the, that was the pinnacle for me, it was like, I want to work for Discovery Channel, and like, when I get there, they'll tell me what I want to do with the rest of my life, sort of yeah. thing, so I made it there, and they were like, press this button, um, you know, you got to go over here and remove this tape, put it into this thing, and I was like, this is not, I don't want to do this. I was yep. like, this is a fucking nightmare. All the cool <laughs> stuff, all the cool stuff was done by the outside. Not even there. Production yeah, someone yeah. somewhere else. And so yeah. I wanted to be those people. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's what I started doing. I started networking and, and, you know, put, uh, I was, every weekend was 
side project, a little passion project, an independent thing, used all my vacation time, all my personal days, all my vacation days. If someone said, hey, man, I got a film, I need an AD, I need an AD on, 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 a, on an independent thing for a week, and I would, I would just put that in for my vacation time. Mm -hmm. I never, I never really took a vacation. Um, I would just, I, I kept my sick days for when, like, since I was working a full-time and a part-time, then I would, yeah. my body would like collapse for a day or two and I would put in those sick days, but that was it. I mean, it was just, it was every weekend, all my vacation days and personal days were, what are the, uh, you know, side projects, you know, indie gigs. Did you ever do, um, did you do the uh, 48 hour film festival? Never. Never? Never, never. I didn't, uh, I probably, you know, I probably should have taken a chance once with that thing just to, just to see what I'm capable of. But I just, I never had, I guess I never had the balls for it. I never had. Like, it's uh, fucking like tough. It's, it's not, um, it's by no means. Well, like I, I, I kind of felt, I, I, I just like shooting. So I, and I like the, I like gathering the people and like uh, sitting in a room and collaborating and then going to shoot the thing. That you, I, I think that's amazing. But uh, I kind of fell into the trap where I thought, um, like I would do, we did it like, I would do it twice a year uh for i think like eight years um and everybody by the end of it they were like this isn't you know this is fun but it's not it's not helping at all do you know what i mean it's not it's um, a cool challenge right but i i mean jesus 16 times you did it like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, i mean it's, so it's a it's a cool challenge and, and like and it's a cool way it, it's a i mean for me it if had i done it i probably would have done it once or twice and been like yep i did that and hopefully the thing came out good right but most of them are so bad it was it was like <laughs> it was like it was torture well and like uh, you yeah. know i'll be fair ours weren't great but they were they were mostly watchable but some of these oof. yeah but there was but 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 great but that's what it's for though that's what it's for you know it's and for, but but on top of that yeah, but on top of that, you know, what I tell a lot of people is that, you know, that's a cool thing. But, you know, you know, a film or a book or a music video needs to be crafted, you know, prepared, you know, strategically planned for, artistically and creatively crafted and, 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 and all that thing. But then on the reverse side of that, you got to pull the trigger on it. Like, I, I know so many people that have been... I know a couple of colleagues, they've been talking two years about doing a, one music video. And I'm like, dude, this is a four minute thing. It's a, the track I think is three minutes and 45 seconds. So why is it taking two years to make a four minute music video? Like what, what, what the fuck's taking so long? Oh man. And, and I mean, and it, it was, it was, it was a year, it was a year plus before the quarantine. Like what? It's a, it's a fucking song, man. It's, it's not a feature. What? I just, I did, um, we just shot this stuff for uh, the Phillips Gallery. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite, um, probably art galleries in, in the world is just right here in DC. And it has like these, you know, Renoir and Tees and like all these amazing um, uh, black artists like Jacobson and, and uh, in, in, in one tiny location. And so I finally got the opportunity to work with them um, like this past month and uh uh they wanted to do um they wanted to sort of bridge the gap between uh theater and um film so uh because those all, all the theater actors are all they're all out of work 
it's nobody's yeah. going to the theater anymore. What are they doing? Like, you know, these are like real actors. Like th that was their business. That was their yeah. job. And uh, so, but theater and film are very different. And, and a lot of them can't make the leap because uh, it is a, it is a, it is a different, it's a different game. Yeah. Um, um, there's, you know, you're not thinking from start to finish. You're thinking what, what's the next action? Um, and that action can be out of sequence. And so when you do that, then you have to look at the story a different way and you can't like, uh, you can't absorb it that way. And they just have this really tough time of kind of over explaining things um, when you don't need that in your head as a film actor before the scene. Right. So it was a, it was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a challenge and, and, and they, they got to see sort of how you create um I wanted them to experience like <clears throat> in-camera effects, um, uh, things that would uh, that that we, you can do. So they're thinking like they were thinking like big stuff. They were thinking like we do we green screen out um, <laughs> we green screen out a guy, uh, get him in a green screen suit, and then um, have him walk around the Phillips Gallery holding something. So it appears that that something is floating. Mm -hmm. That's what they wanted to do. And I was like, whoa, no way, right. no way, no way. Um, would you ever put a person in a green screen suit uh, inside of uh, a, a space that you didn't know how it was going to be lit from one day to the next? And like you couldn't come in and, and rehearse, so you couldn't get the lighting right. And like they didn't understand that. So I made like a little explainer video on like why green screen requires like a good key. What is a key? um and stuff like that and so 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 then we took like uh we made this trumpet fly through space just by holding it in front of the camera lens and turning it and and they were like oh okay yeah it clicked it's like, 19, it's like 1940s technology and it's, it's like a, it, and it works perfectly yeah um, i just watched um i just watched uh, francis ford coppola's dracula which is filmed all with like 1940s and below um, techniques. And I'll, it's fucking like, it's not a great movie, but it's one of the best portrayals of Dracula, I think. I think he does a great job, but um, it is stylized and yeah. it looks fucking good. And, like and you know, like, I think it's, I, and the first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to like those old texts that they did in the 40s, 50s and what he did in that movie, there was like his shadow, right? Like uh, Dracula was coming down the step when Dracula had that white hair tied back. Mm -hmm. in that yeah, yeah. He's coming down with his cloak, but his shadow is doing something different Yep. because they had somebody, they had a double against the light and that light was pointed differently, but he was lit differently. So that wasn't his shadow. They were like some other person off camera was mocking his walking and then doing something. And then like, like that person stopped, but uh, uh, Gary Oldman kept walking and it was so trippy. Yeah. And then to come to find out that's not CGI because fuck going back and trying to like do CGI when we knock it out now. I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to sit here and, and render for days. Fucking rendering, bro. Like that that's what kills me. And 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 that's what and, and, and my colleagues don't get that. They're like, man, we can do this, this, this. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing that, dude. Because I know for a fact I'm the only one gonna be editing this. We're gonna do a lot of shit much more simpler. And and say, for example, the crime show that we're doing, the joke is that it's a cheap crime show on ID. 
-hmm. That's the vision. And, and there was a lot of headbutting, man, if we pump more money into it, I'm like, dude, we can do that with anything. The vision, the, 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 the whole vision of this crime show based in the DC or Marvel universe is that it's a cheap crime show on ID. I've been on these sets and, and they have been on these sets. You remember they had us just walk down the thing. And then when we watched the, when we watched the episode on TV, you can't even tell it's us. <laughs> we started laughing like me and me and two buddies of mine. The three of us, we played these U.S. Marshals escorting these criminals to court. And they did this effect on it. You couldn't even tell it was us. We did knew it was. For that show, did you guys film on, um, were you on, on on location or did you go on to, was it all like sets? Well, I don't know how familiar you are with Maryland. Um, there is this, there's this uh, uh, defunct Bible college in Maryland. And they shoot all the episodes in this building because there's a whole building just empty, right? And so they got offices for interrogations. They got offices for, um, they, they have uh, other rooms that they've set up for like bedrooms. Because it, it, this huge Bible college used to be exactly that, a Bible college. And then somebody else, then it, then it went bankrupt. Somebody else bought it, but half of it's empty. So there's a bunch of empty dorms and there's a bunch what? of empty office. Yeah. Where is, where, where, where? I want uh, this. I'll send you, I'll send you, I'll send you the link offline. Okay, right. I'll send you the link offline. And I'm sure there's a way for you to like contact the folks and, and, and there's gotta be because I, every other shoot, every other shoot, all the ID crime shows that you have seen on ID in the last six years, every other shoot day has been on this property inside or out. There's apartments that are still working. Um, but there's like a dorm building and an office building that's just empty. So it's just like a, it's like, it has, this place has like a caretaker, I'm imagining, and they just... It still, it still has an operational church, and it still oh. has, it still has an operational administration, but there's, see, what's, what's funny, what's funny, it's, it's two minutes away from where I grew up. It's in PG County, Maryland. So it's two minutes mm -hmm. away from where my mom used to, you know, do a bunch of stuff for our church, and she went there. She used to go to their bookstore and buy stuff. And so I was familiar with this place. It's next to it's next to this football field, soccer field that I used to do a boys and girls club at. Mm -hmm. And so it was like this huge functioning uh, Bible college, uh, Bible bookstore. It was a seminary. I think it was Presbyterian or Lutheran or, 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 or Baptist or something like that. So when I was growing up and then fast forward 30 years later, they're like, hey, this is our location. I'm like, I used, to, I used to live like five minutes from there. Is that hmm. that Christian bookstore? They're like, no, it's such and such Bible college. And I'm like, get this shit out of here. So we go there and there's like two, I want to say a building or a building in, building and a half, one and a half buildings right. that, are just, that are just empty. Like the space is not being used. So they rent it out to productions all the time. And Crazy. where was I going with uh, that? Yeah. Like, and, but the scene I'm talking about, the no, scene I'm talking about. But I'm interested. Oh, there, I think there's a little. I think there's a little bit of a zoom delay. You still there? Yep, I yep. got you. Yeah. So, but we were just walking down the hallway. I've done scenes down this one hallway fourteen different times, and this this crew's been there probably 140 different times. They just shoot it slightly differently. They they'll close a blind. They'll open a blind. They'll use a different filter. They've been there so many times. But a lot of times. The general viewers of these crime shows, they don't care. They're getting the content. They're getting the story. They're drawn in. Oh, this other murderer, this terrible crime in the 80s versus this terrible crime in the 90s. It's all being shot in, it's all being shot in the one building, you know? What, what, what's your, um, 
What's your favorite? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that you're a fan of these crime shows. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing them. What's your favorite current um, uh, kind of crime story? Well, the reason why I'm doing the crime show stuff is because I was on them. There's such a draw for it. So when I told so so I'd done a couple episodes and I told a buddy of mine. He goes, "Is one of them locked up abroad?" And I'm like, never even heard of it. So he showed me episodes. He goes, I'm addicted to this. This is my buddy since I was five. Never knew he was addicted to this show, Locked Up Abroad. And I'd never worked on that show, but I started showing him the other stuff. He goes, dude, people eat this shit up. And so little people eat this shit up. My father-in-law, when, when me and my wife you know, first started, first met, first started dating, I told her, like, you know, I act in some of these ID crime shows. She goes, my dad loves those. So having been on those sets... Yeah. If if I were to tell you right now there is a quote unquote crime show that I love, it's called Dark Side of the Ring, and it's about crimes or murders or uh, uh, tragic happen tragic happenstances with pro wrestlers. Okay, it's called Dark Side of the Ring. You can find it on Hulu. One of the best of this genre. It's shot just like those ID crime shows, but I think it's. It's a Vice original, which is now on Hulu, but gotcha. you've got you've got the you've got the you've got the experts sitting against a green screen, doing the talking head stuff. You got the archive footage, the archive photos, the forensic photos, the the police reports, the you know the the nine one one calls. But then you have the dramatic reenactments. But these actors are like bodybuilders playing pro wrestlers. You know, like, yeah. the, like, the, like, <laughs> like who, who's your uh, who's your like go to um, uh, sort of grumpy. Uh, uh, kind of raspy old detective in these um, in these uh, DC, DC Marvel universes that you go to. Do you have one? There's got you had to have one. You got to have one guy that's I'm, like. Well, in, 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 what in my crime shows? Yeah, yeah. So Isn't there a day you do interviews, right? So like mock it, it, yeah, right. We do mock interviews. So we have the we have the we have the the, the specialists or the reporters against the green screen, right? So I have an actor right. that looks just like Clark Kent. Okay. So he so it's Clark Kent talking about the Clark uh, Kent. it's Clark Kent talking about that that criminal per that episode. Or That's there's actually, and I play Jeremiah Arkham, who's the founder of Arkham Asylum. Who's more knowledgeable of these criminals in Gotham City than Jeremiah Arkham? He houses them in the Arkham Asylum. And then there's, uh, and then another buddy of mine looks just like this uh, character called uh, Lyle Bolton, um, who's the warden of Arkham Asylum. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and then in Marvel, there's a, there's a, we play a bit more obscure Marvel characters, but I play Captain Chris Keating of the NYPD who had, there's a whole underlying kind of, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything yet as we, you know, progress with this series. But Chris Keating does not trust or like the Defenders. If you're familiar with who the Defenders are in the Marvel Universe, they're uh, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Iron Fist. Okay. They all yeah. band together as the Defenders. And he doesn't trust them. He doesn't like them. And then there's two S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that my other colleagues play, and they're against the green screen as the analysts. You know, so like, who better who who would who would who would know more about these criminals than you know former shield agents you know because shield fell you know in in uh, captain america's civil war mm -hmm. shield shield fell 
So these guys don't have a job anymore. So they're so, but they got booked on this TV show to talk about these super nice, criminals making some, making some good scratch. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then Chris Keating, who you know, the NYPD doesn't like him because he doesn't like or trust the defenders. So he's probably retired, and now he's on this show. His gig is being this criminologist, criminal criminal expert on this crime show on ID. And like just like uh, that show Homicide, which I think is on ID, but it's also no Homicide Hunter. That's what it, that's what it's called. Okay. It's a crime show called Homicide Hunter, and this guy's like a former detective. Now he's the host of the show. So you know, it's like I'm playing, a, but I was never. I wouldn't really say I was ever really a fan of a show. Just I would always track down my episodes for my actors reel, you know, and like yeah, yeah, find yeah. my scenes. But if I was to say there was a show that stood out, it would be Dark Side of the Ring, because okay. I, I was always a pro wrestling fan. And then you know the loss of Owen Hart, the the tragic story with Chris Benoit, uh, the death of Miss Elizabeth, and then the death of Macho Man. They all they did episodes in each one of those. The death of Eddie Guerrero, yeah. the death of Brutus, the death of. Uh, Bruder Brosy, uh, Bruiser Brody, you know, okay. and all those guys, you know, so they do episodes, but it's just like, it's, it's shot and produced just like those crime shows with those blurry, dramatic, slow-mo reenactments. And, you know, like they find like, they find like muscle heads to like double for Hulk and macho and, and all these wrestlers. It's, it's a trip. 20,000 for an episode. Are they, are, are episodes still, um, here's a question. And I don't know the answer to. Are our episodes still standard lengths, standard TV? It's like, is it like, what, 42.3 seconds, 30 seconds, or something like that? Right. And what is it? 40 minutes? 44 minutes, 44 minutes. seconds? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Oh, or, man. Or, or some networks, what is it? 45, 45? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think these Vice episodes kind of come close to that, but you raise a good point. Like, now with new media and the way that you know serials are structured the mandalorian is a great example the mandalorian on disney plus uh for example season two episode one was about an hour long then the next episode was about 40 minutes then there was like a 32 minute episode then there was another 45 minute episode then there was another 38 minute episode i was wondering about that but they, they, they never go over they never cross the hour threshold unless it's like a two like unless it continues directly from the previous storyline you know that's, some, that's another series like some like some properties you know like the 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 season premiere might be longer than most mm -hmm. of the other episodes you yeah. know because it's like mandalorian's back so they're going to give you a little bit more for that first step but do you but, think that's a um do you think that's a uh, luxury that only disney and like sort of the higher um higher tier uh, production facilities can afford like like uh uh to say that the fourth episode is going to be 40 minutes long instead of 22 minutes long is like that's like adding fifty thousand dollars onto a budget so right. you know you could never you would have to seriously plan out your timeline in order for you to make those um decisions on a, on a small scale i think but it, was it, a it is kind of cool that we get to like if it's a longer story that needs to be told uh, with more minutes uh, and more screen time with like a certain subject, then I, I love that we're able to kind of do that now instead of being locked in at these sort of seemingly random 
45 minute 0.45 uh, to make room for commercial break sort of structures. You're you're saying you like that you don't have to fit into this yeah box yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah so, abs absolutely I mean I f I totally foresaw that happening especially with with you know YouTube definitely changed the game and started the whole streaming thing but Netflix really took advantage of we could just do shit on our own terms and mm -hmm. I'd say the average House of Cards episode are all the same length they they they're still trying to remain somewhat structured. And some shows, yes, and some shows, no. But to me, it doesn't even matter either way. You know, uh, what's there's a show that me and the wife are watching called A Teacher with Kate Mara. It's about a teacher having an inappropriate relationship with a student. It's a great show. But it's a serious drama. But the episodes are only 25 minutes. That's not usual. Most comedies are like, 30, are like 25 minutes with commercials or 30 minutes on HBO and, but, dra and dramas. Except for, except for Curb. Uh, but, Curb Enthusiasm's like, that's a random time too. It's like, it's, sometimes it's 45 minutes, sometimes it's like 30. Cur well, Curb? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find, so Netflix had this zombie outbreak movie. Oh, um, when, did this, when did this thing come out? Netflix original? It was a Netflix original. It came out like two, three years ago. Netflix zombie show. What the hell was the name of this show? It was like, it's called Black Summer. That's what it was. All right. So Black Summer. Black Summer's episode lengths were like super variable. Uh, Black Summer. And it was a great show. And me and the wife were watching it. And it would be done in like, one episode would be done in 15 minutes. And we're, and we're just like, what the hell's going on? The filmmakers didn't care. They told the story that they thought best told. They didn't put in filler. They didn't cut it too short. They didn't leave anything out. They didn't jam pack, you know, they didn't jam pack in shit that was unnecessary. Yeah, um, I'm wondering, I tried to look at, because um, uh, I wanted to start to put out feelers for, um, who can I pitch these shows to? I just finished, uh, we just finished our uh, full pay, full screenplay um the sound of gravity uh and and so where would i where does a person go to pitch a show anymore right. how does it work um you know do you is it all venture capitalists and then you know only knowing people in you know downtown la or is it has it gotten a little easier and the answer is kind of a mixed bag um I, yeah, like I net, just like had, Netflix. Yes, again. Well, no, I just yeah. had a, I, I had a, I had a similar conversation with somebody, and first, you know, they, their idea is fantastic, right? And they said, okay, but I want to pitch it to people. Um, but I want to I want to make sure they sign an NDA, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want them to steal my idea. It's it, and and he, but he told me because he can trust me, and I said, dude, this is brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. Here's an example of a rock solid NDA that I always use. 99 out of 100 times, they're going to say, I'm not signing an NDA. And he goes, well, what should I do? It's like, just move on. But the, the alternative is shoot a pilot, shoot a pitch trailer, shoot like, shoot, uh, you know, 
a, a five minute skit from mm -hmm. the show, shoot a 10 minute skit, shoot like a micro episode, shoot an entire episode, whatever you want to do. Because the thing with my, the thing with my crime show is I just pulled the trigger and I did the first season and the second season of each DC and Marvel universe. Now right. it's out there. You know, I think it's a pretty genius idea that neither DC nor Marvel has done, but I would love to sell it to them and say, listen, content, content's king. We use, if you thought you thought, if you thought you saw a skeleton crew, this is like, you know, even less, this is just like the rib cage of a crew right, right. on how to, on how to, this is like bone marrow crew on how to shoot. We can, we can pull off shooting this show. But content's king. You would have, you know, a whole new season. Uh, you have a whole new series, either for DC or Marvel, Disney Plus, DC Universe, whatever. So what's your plan? But, but I, but the plan, but see, the plan is I already have the show on YouTube. So right. there's my pitch, right? And so if they they can they can they could do it on their own without me. They could they could be like, well, because I don't own rights to DC or Marvel. It's have like, you reached out? I have. I've tried. I, 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 there's only so many people I, I know. There's only so many LinkedIn connections, and I, yeah, and yeah. I, and you know, and I, and I did a search on LinkedIn for like Marvel, uh, for uh, for Marvel or for Disney uh, uh, employees or DC or Warner employees. I said, hey, listen, I have this, I have this fan series on YouTube. I want, you, please buy it for me. Content's king. This thing's kind of doing all right on YouTube. I think this would be a goldmine for you guys, especially during quarantine. And they're like, well, I'm not really in the development stage. I could pass it on. And crickets. I mean, if they steal it from me, I really have no, I can talk shit about them, but I really don't have any control because I don't have the right to with DC or Marvel. It's a fan series right now, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, but but I, uh, I but I I did, this, I did this experiment where I wanted to get someone high level, um, uh, you know we're talking uh, VP uh, VP or above of of like uh, a division of of Netflix, um, and so I I linked in a whole bunch of Netflix members, and um, there is Netflix is becoming uh, is trying to become an a. Uh, inclusive um uh place to work and develop and show your your videos so i was like okay um why don't i contact um sort of the the um inclusivity brand manager so i, I got really obscure with it but um i got into a conversation with the vp of their uh you know their their branding and uh and how uh, they cater uh, not only to, you know, 20 to 32-year-old white males, but also to, um, you know, 15 to 21-year-old uh, females and, and uh, minorities. And, and, and so we had a conversation about how would a small production company start uh, to work its way up to, you know, doing sort of that sort of thing. And I just got, I just got a conversation rolling with a, not asking a direct, um, can you help me? Uh, where do I go with this thing that I have that I want to give to the world, but an indirect question. And I kind of left it open for a, a doorway. So that might be, might be an avenue you could do and say, you know, um, but I, I would, I would try, I would try maybe to reach out to Marvel and cause they get, they get shit all the time. Um, I might, one of my, 
one of my best friends, uh, a, a best manager slash coworker friends of mine uh, from a long time ago, his, his cousin is M. Night Shyamalan, like actual cousin. And, and I was like, and so that was from years ago. I used to be a bartender. And uh, so I saved that one. I remember, I always remembered that he was uh, cousins with M. Night Shyamalan. And then 15 years later, I wrote a you know, script and I think it's good enough and I have all this stuff. And uh, I saved that one. And so I reached out and I was like, hey, is there any way you can make introductions? And um, he was like, he was like, pump the brakes. Um, he, you know, M. Night gets a lot of, everyone wants to meet M. Night. So mm -hmm. don't start with M. Night. And I was like, okay. And he was like, let me give you another connection of mine, uh, another cousin of mine. And uh, he's in, he's in LA right now and he's a working actor and he's been in lots of stuff, lots of stuff on Netflix. And, and he's like, why don't you hook up with him and, and um, see what is going on. So I was like, okay, that's, so that was another indirect thing. And so he was like, he was like, yeah, if you get along good with him, then we'll introduce you to M night. And he was telling me about, uh, he was having a, <laughs> I don't know if, I'm sure this is public knowledge somewhere, but M night has these, um, has these Halloween festivals every year. And he lives on acres and acres of land in like, Pennsylvania somewhere, mm -hmm. and they have um. Oh, what do they call it? Oh, oh God! <laughs> they call it uh, Shia Mawin. Uh huh. And uh, and so and they have like headless horsemen running around and shit like that. And man, that sounded cool. Um. Anyway, I digress. But there, yeah. there's, maybe there's a couple ideas in there. Yeah, but you know, like, you know, like I've said to like a number of other people, like just shoot, shoot some, shoot a little short excerpt of what it is you have in mind. Say, for example, this is a man on the street, you know, like, you know, someone, someone else was trying to pitch like this, something similar to like this man on the street type of comedy show. Mm -hmm. and so just go out there and shoot a couple of those things and put it on YouTube. Now you don't need an NDA. It's on your channel. Right. Copyrighted, copyrighted under your name, copyrighted under your brand. And then here's your pitch. The videos you already have, that content, that pieced together thing. And it's only like, like, like for example, let's take a look at a, a even closer, better example is a Impractical Jokers, right? Sure. Each episode, each episode I think is 30 minutes on True TV. There's about four different goofy skits in it, right? Well, if you want to, what's the way to pitch Impractical Jokers? Shoot four individual skits as four individual videos on your YouTube channel. And that's what you're pushing as your pitch. But a show is not a show, unfortunately. Right. Um, and this is, I'm learning this more and more. It's like, it's not just about the show. It's about the show runner. It's about the guy presenting the show. Do are just because you can make a thing doesn't mean you can make a thing consistently and at the same time quality which is why all these True. things go back to the same production houses because they have a consistency that is they can count on yep um and so and that's another huge so the trick huge leap. so another leap is not taking your show to discovery channel it's taking your show to that production house that has 10 years experience with this with discovery channel and so there's that extra leap yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I, I think, I, I honestly, I, I'm, 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 there's so many, 
some like uh, I was watching this thing. Uh, Aaron Sorkin was like uh, gives these gave this like a thirty minute um, monologue about he, how he became uh, uh, famous, and he was like, "Don't uh, don't follow my lead because um, mine was pretty unique." And so that lends no help to anyone. Absolutely. <laughs> like if you're just like, well, I just found, uh, I walked out of a New York theater and someone wanted to buy A Few Good Men. I said, I didn't want to make A Few Good Men um, into a movie first. I wanted to make it into a stage play and they gave me the rights to the stage play and now I'm Aaron Sorkin. Right. And I was like, okay, go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's yeah. not, that is not knowledge. That helps me at all. Um, so so I'm, I'm actually, and I'm really glad that, that there's, there's this podcast like this and stuff like that because there needs to be uh, some sort of a, a community that answers a lot of these questions because these aren't um it's not this this thing these things aren't easy this is a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces yeah i mean you know you raise a good point uh as far as an actor goes i didn't go to school for acting i went to school for film and tv production and then out of necessity i joined the national guard the army national guard which is like part part-time army and after one deployment someone said so a, a colleague of mine said i i moved to albuquerque and i started acting and i said and it, it just dawned on me i have a military background now i've got some experience as a sergeant as a you know as a, as a military police so when i got home i started applying to casting gigs looking for cops detectives military roles mm -hmm. and within within three months i found an acting gig and i had five minutes of a close-up on one of those crime shows my first acting gig ever it was a fucking close-up this is here in dc yeah and i and, and i had a fucking close-up as a cop uniform tacked out guns badge i was like i was interviewing this victim close-up for five minutes on a crime show and i'm like oh acting career who would have thunk and then and, and then you know bouncing some some crew gigs here some acting gigs here i the, a year or two after that, the whole year was acting, really well-paying acting, playing um, you know army majors in House of in the show House of Cards, playing de playing detectives nonstop in all these different crime shows. There was no crew work that year; it was all acting. I kept getting booked out as an actor, and then the next year after that, it was mostly crew work and live streaming work and a lot of technical work. A year after that, and then it was a little bit of a mix, but. What what changed? Why why did you? It was it just like, um, I mean, through a will, was it through a will of your own? Were you like, yeah, like, no? I just think I think I acted in way too many of those crime shows. They said, they said <laughs> we can't, we can't have the same detective on every fucking case of every crime on every crime show. So right, we can only put him in so many varieties. Exactly. It's, you're you're not like this immortal Highlander cop that's just on every case. That's not realistic, <laughs> but but. I think, uh, and plus I'm in this market and it's still yet somewhat of a small market. So I had been on every show in this market that, okay, hold on, pump the brakes. Maybe might have to take a season off. And then another season I started getting some acting gigs and then, it was, but, the, but, but like you said, like my, my entrance into acting was not, you know, years of theater training and years of stage training and, um, what is it? I, I didn't go to the inside actor, inside the actors. I didn't go to the actor's studio in New York. I didn't go to the jewels or whatever the hell those acting schools are. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I had, I had experience producing shows and TV and film, but then I did this other thing, you know, some, with some military experience 
I was just eventually more uncomfortable in front of the camera, and it was just something I experimented with. I just took a leap. Are you better? Are you are you a better filmmaker? You think because of your work as an actor, does it make you more sympathetic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like as an actor, I've seen a lot of directors direct, and I've picked up some cues. I picked up some tricks of the trade, and I've seen that. And then, but also having been an actor, I'm. I know what actors want and need and don't need from from a director. And so there's that both sides of the fence type of deal having experienced that. What makes the good uh, what makes a good director in your opinion? A clear vision and preparation. Preparation and clear vision, yeah. A clear vision. Yeah. I mean prep preparation that that goes without saying, but a clear vision. I've and being an AD, I've dealt with directors that don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're trying to do too much. They're they don't have a clear vision. They changed their mind last time. And it's like, how many times have we been editing something and we want to go back and re-edit and go back and re-edit and go back and re-edit? Oh, I can make that better. I can make the dude, you gotta pull the trigger. When you're yeah. on set, it's like we need to finish the scene. There's no like, oh, I just came up with this great idea last minute. No, dude, it's not how it works. So having AD experience to be a director, having actor experience to be a director, knowing what actors are capable of. I mean, I've dealt with directors that want to, that I, I dealt with one director that thought his actors were like Jackie Chan and, <laughs> and, 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 and female Jackie Chan, you know? And it's like, bro. Have, did you even I ask them if they have harder punches like i want i want this 15 minute fight scene one long shot and i'm like dude right. you're not that's not fucking happening <laughs> and then and then and then the last blow is they is the guy tumbles down the stairs that's not happening <laughs> hell no someone's gonna get killed on this set someone's going to die and so it's like okay we you know you get if you if you did your casting and you did your and you did your hiring, you got to know what people are capable of, and you have to make simple sacrifices. But then that's where those production hacks, thinking outside the box, being creative, come, with a little bit of sacrifice comes maybe this cool fucking idea, right? Yeah. Uh, we, oh, I can't get that. I can't get that one thing. Well, I remember you know there was like, I remember there was like this one action movie where everything was shot so ridiculously it came out great but it was like the quickest fight scene i mean don't get me wrong these long wide 15 minute long long duration wide shots of jackie chan taking on 10 dudes but these guys have been training in that for like decades but then there was right. like there was like some film where they had to like they had to like really compact and shoot around this fight scene and it came out hysterical and entertaining it wasn't but, like um, uh, it wasn't the that that um, kung fu movie uh, that was oh, no where not they rotoscoped that guy out and they put him in uh, they put him in an old movie. You and think I, Kung Pao? Kung Pao? Yes, enter, enter yes, this. yes. No, yes. I, no, I no, like, no yeah, it wasn't that. I had no idea how uh, when that movie came out. I was like, oh god, one of these movies. And but they didn't do a good job of explaining what they were doing. They, like. They actually fucking rotoscoped that guy into a 1970s movie. Yeah, like like, like it's incredible. That yeah. I had no idea. 
Um, yeah, it was a hilarious movie, and they threw like aliens in there, and and like, and I think they did shoot some original stuff, you know, to tack yeah. on to the ending. But yeah, they pretty much rotoscoped him into this this old Chinese kung fu movie that apparently was a flop, and yeah. they shell and they shelved that movie. But so he decided to buy it because he, I don't know, it, it's a it's a hilarious story on how that whole thing came about. Yeah, and he's just like what sitting on he like he owns this movie flat out right like owns all the rights to the actors and so he's just sitting on this for years and years and years until yeah. i guess the technology can becomes good enough right yeah huh. yeah i mean it's just it's just but but no what i'm thinking it, it, i know it was a comedy but they tried to do this fight scene and uh and just the way it turned out it was just entertaining but you can tell like you you i, I wish i could remember the i i can't even i can't even picture the actors but you know, like it's just you work around something to where it works. You know, well, and like, like the Batman suit, like the Batman, the first Batman suit was you couldn't turn your head. So how do you make an interesting fight with you know a guy that can't turn his head? And you turn the camera, and you do a, a zillion you know Dutch tilts through old wood in a cathedral, and you have interesting things going on in the background, and you you have it well lit, and you're using a good lens and 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 all this stuff and all the stuff that people seem to take advantage of now or take um for granted now where they're like oh we'll just do it in post we'll put a vignette on and and do some cheesy halo effects around the yeah. you know and 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 it, i just i just remembered what i just remembered what it, what it was i was thinking about but you raise a good point with the first batman the first michael keaton batman the whole rooftop thing that black guy was like throwing punches and kick his kicks at him and all he kept just doing was with this with his hands <laughs> and then i think he kicked some once he bonks his head on the bell falls down the entire church tower fucking hilarious it was such a great fight scene he was hilarious. throwing the other dude was hitting him with swords and 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 so he's blocking him again with his hands and it's it works because it's like tim tim burton's kind of just ambiance you know tim burton's kind of he and, built the world he makes the rules yeah right, right. But That's but it. but like, but then also with uh with with uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, that fight scene he was supposed to have with the gunshot, he was yeah, supposed yeah. to have this long he was supposed to have this long whip versus sword thing, and you know uh, uh, Harrison Ford I think had the flu or he had like some stomach virus or he had he had the shits or something on set, <laughs> and it was his idea. I was like, I have a gun. Why don't I just shoot the guy? And it, it came out hysterical. It was the so wait, think about that though. Like for that shot. That was a that was one take, right? He was like, "I'm just gonna take out my gun, and we'll, why don't we just shoot him?" Right after that, he took a fucking huge shit. Yeah, yeah. The sequence of events. But, it, uh, but, but you know, it's like you know you some. But but long story short, yeah. I mean, I, I just a little bit of due diligence, a little bit of research, a little bit of fandom, a little bit of open mindedness. Having been on both sides of the fence as an actor and as a director, it's like let's play around with this, but. We're filmmakers. This is not, you know, we're not, we're not government officials. We're not, we're not planning a mission to Mars. We're not planning to like, we're not planning a military mission where there's hundreds of thousands of lives at stake. This is a film. This is, this is art. You know, we're supposed to have fun with it. Let's experiment. Ah, oh, no, my vision, my vision. I, I dreamt this five years ago and it's gotta be this scene. And they do this step-by-step. Step. And I was like, dude, I mean, so many, we don't I mean, have the time. We don't have the money. You've walked on the sets where it's been like, um, you could feel it, right? Like there's like a thing, 
there's like a thing that happens on a set where you can like feel when all the kind of air has been sucked out and everyone's having a bad time and it's like the director's just in a bad mood and the ad is off and like the the, the it's a weird it casts like this weird glow on the set and you can see it on screen like yeah. when there's a bad director and the actors aren't you know being treated well or they're asked they're being asked to do something that's ridiculous but you feel that in the episode yeah. you know super eerie like silence everyone was super awkward something had been said earlier in the day or something and uh, well, you had just have to break the mood and but the, also the show must go on yeah um you know there's a client that has to be you know satisfied no matter how um hostile they are there's still the client and and so you've got to fix it and that's that's part of filmmaking that's why it's fun it's it's, it's a it's a it's problem solving i think yeah, I mean, what got us what got us into this business in the first place was, you know, I saw Goonies and laughed my ass off. I saw, you know, Star Wars and I wanted to be, you know, a Jedi. I saw Indiana Jones. I wanted to, like, you know, kill Nazis, you know, like not to be a dick on set and to, like, ruin everybody's day. You know, I think we're all filmmakers because we all inherently want to be the good guy or support the good guy or, and, and make sure. art and make comedy and make fiction and make, make fantasy come to life. And it's, and it's like, okay, so let's, let's have fun with that. Let's, let's experiment with that. We're running out of time. We don't have the money. What's some funny, cool shit we could do to make our day. Right. That's and, always it. It's, it's the, it's the, and, um, how do you, it's the, what serves the story best, right? And that too. Yeah. I mean, a couple of smacks, a couple of fights and the guy trips over and that's what I dumbed down the whole scene to, you know, they, they wrestle. She throw, he threw up against a wall. She smacked him and he tripped and he fell down the steps. And these same stories told these, uh, these action scenes now are, I think it started with um, it started with uh, the third born identity where it was uh, it was just cut, 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 cut. And it's like you there's only it's only been 15 seconds. And I swear to God, there's 50 cuts and you can't follow the action. And it's it, these are at really weird. And it was right when um, it was right when gimbals were first starting to come out. So so all these fucking uh, videographers uh, had the gimbal for the first time and they're like right. whirling it around and just so like, yeah these like spins and it's, it's so bad and and polluted it and everyone started doing that thing and now it's a thing now that's just oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> and, then, and then you go back to batman and you're like that's fucking clever three shots you know batman walks towards screen and goes like this sword guy goes like this wide shot bell falls on get like that's it three shots really mm -hmm. um yeah and 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 probably the studio execs were taking note. They were like, "Okay, Tim Burton, this is this is the guy. You can, sometimes, you can make another one of these." And and I I say it a lot. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes more is more. More is better. But some but 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 more but, is always more though. <laughs> more is always more. Yeah, but a lot of times you know less is more. More simple. <laughs> more subtle. Yeah. Less di less dialogue, less crazy cuts, simpler setup, you know, more a little bit more straightforward 
telling and, and, and uh, a little bit more straightforward exposition. And people are like, this, that works better. Yeah, I, I had designed this whole, I got a bit carried away and I had designed this whole city in, um, in, in Blender and, and, and uh, then I watched uh, Batman a couple of weeks ago and I was like, well, I didn't need to do that at all. <laughs> it's, you know, but he, he used forced perspective and he put the buildings on, on angles towards the camera and as he rises up out of the city, it looks like the buildings are stacked on top of each other and they, they weren't, they didn't have a, they weren't using a 3D program. They just built these little models and tilted them forward and had the camera go up. Um, and then once I saw that, I was like, okay. And I sort of, I, I scratched what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, I do a hybrid 3D miniature city at some point. And, and, and I, I, I was like, I'm just going to do the, the wide shots as sort of, the 3d part and i'll try and do as much in camera with these models as possible and it looks better which just looks better less is more yeah yeah <laughs> well and i mean we've been, we've been going for a while man what's what's next on the agenda what's what's uh what's the next set of plans i mean you kind of discussed it. you're still working on um uh next is next is so we're so this has changed from a uh one part series one part one-off um thing into a 10-part um series that i i then want to sell to netflix which is why i was laying the groundwork for that um early so now that we have our full-length script um written um i want to use that as sort of a collateral so we're going to have a first and a last episode written i want a first episode shot as well and then i want to put the trailer out this spring so i'll have a i'll have a trailer by the summer i'll have a full episode we'll have an, the last episode in the series written and then i'll also have a uh, full script that i want to um then make into a movie so hopefully i can parlay uh, a 10-part series in netflix into a than movie deal but we'll see how that goes but um i just i think i just found my lead actor from uh, a gig that we were doing uh at phillips um so i sent him a, i sent him a um i asked him you know for a demo how does that work now like this is also something that i asked the guy uh, um uh that uh, the cousins of m night Shyamalan, uh, who's the actor out in la i was like what are people doing for demos now like how does it work um like how do you how does an actor get a gig now? And he's like, well, they just send in, uh, send in tapes. So they'll, you know, the, the talent agency will, will send out um, five or six pages for them to read and then they'll get online they'll read it and they'll send it to the director. Yeah. And I was like, has that how it, that's always worked? And he's like, no, you used to have to like go in yeah. and um, sit there and, you know, wait and talk. And, and he's like, this is so much better. Um, and it's better for, uh, I'm sure it's better for the. I'm sure it's better for the director too, because that's gotta suck. That's gotta just be the seeing. Seeing good actors is hard enough. Seeing bad actors for eight hours is just it's mind numbing. Yeah, I'm sure I mean, it's soul fucking. I mean, think about the time that someone could you know like say if I was you know the director I could focus on other things. And I could knock out all this other prep. I could watch a video and and 
and well, if, I could have someone else watch it for me and give me the you know best ten instead of you know you know and at least you don't you get a feel for the people too. Although it's got to be more impersonal now, right? So if I'm hiring yeah. someone, no, I mean I would probably watch the videos, mm. but I'm gonna I'm gonna know right away. Like the second this guy is dry, the second this girl is dull, skip next one. Right. And then I'm like, wow, I like this guy. You know, flag, thumbnail, bookmark, whatever. Next one, next one. Go through my bookmarks, rewatch. And then maybe do a second kind of flag or a second kind of bookmark. And then I would Skype with like the top three, the top five. Then I would Skype with them. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is but that kind of a process, man, that kind of a process, I was utilizing that kind of process years ago, either being an actor, I was taking advantage of those kind of gigs that was, that was act, asking for that kind of uh, submission. Or as a director, I was saying, you know, there were some smaller things and, and the, the, you know, for example, you know, with the crime show, I was reaching out, I, I, I did an open casting for voiceover actors. And I said, all you need is a demo. Just send me a demo. And I got a lot of submissions without demos, delete, delete, delete. And then mm -hmm. I got, and so then out of 30, I got 15 with demos. I would listen to those demos. Didn't like half of those, delete, delete, delete. Didn't like their voice, didn't like you know, how they sounded. It didn't, it didn't work for a crime show. So now I got seven and it's like, okay, I like all these guys I'm gonna, and gals. I'm gonna utilize all of them. So I didn't have them do the entire show. I sent them maybe five scripts out of the whole series. And I got um, different voiceover people for different episodes, you know? What's the, uh, what's the standard, what's the day rate for, uh, for an actor now? Well, because of the budget of this thing, it was, it, it was non-paying. Well, sure, but, but, I mean, but, but like, is there, a, is, there a, is there a universal standard that where, where it kind of starts? For, for, for what? Actors for or for voiceover work? Actor, lead actor, non, uh, lead actor commercial. Do I set that? Do I set that budget? Because traditionally, I have. Yeah, you can. You can, and if someone's willing to work within your budget, then then they're willing to work within your budget. I guess that's the name of the game, right? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> you get that actor that is this good that works for this much money. Yeah. Um, but but if not the same, I get. I, I wouldn't put I, I I wouldn't put a rate out there on on the air, but I mean on an offline we can talk you know more specific rates. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interesting, but I'm I'm wondering it's not because there is a, there is a standard for um, and this is another thing about you know these these actors are these they're struggling man. Um, yeah, there's not that much stuff out there right now, uh, and I could imagine um, I can imagine them. Uh, it, it, the, we have a standard in terms of like a production company. Right. There's, there's like a standard price of like, this is a three-day conference, you know, I'm sure they get three similar bids and they pick the one bid that is probably the least amount of money, not the best company. Um, that's right. probably, that's pretty standard. But um, that's not the way it works with uh, actors, so... Um, I don't know. I'd be interested more that the more more of your knowledge in that area. Um, also, not to be a dick. Like, I don't want to be. I don't want to be the uh, the director that's asking an actor to do something for for like uh, you know peanuts. Um, that's always a, that's a, that's a constant. That's a constant fear. Um, I guess that's comes with just being empathetic. Yeah. 
uh, it's a good thing to have. I mean, anyway, yeah, I, as far I, as like, yeah. yeah, as far as produce, as far as producing and budgeting and offering rates, I mean, that, that gets tricky there. That, yes. Right now. See, right now, actually, there are some sites that are offering general crew rates. Um, and I, and I kind of compiled a list of that already. Um, so I would, I would like to think that that site has, you know, actor rates as well, you know, above the line rates, below the line rates. Right. Are these all guild members? Like, are these all like guild members? I think, I think SAG might have a spreadsheet. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think SAG might have a spreadsheet. And so you can play off of that. If this is a non-union thing, you can kind of work from, you can kind of, you know, start with some of their numbers and Hmm. work your way up or down or however. How hard is it? Are you in the actors union? I'm not. I'm not SAG. No, not I'd love. I'd love to be, and and you know, I, I certainly aspire to be. But uh, the last what, year, yeah, what do you mean? What, huh? what do you? How many more? Uh, uh, how many more episodes of ID Discovery? Do you mean? <laughs> well, since they're all non, since those are all non-union productions, none of them count. Are they all non-union? Yeah, they're all non-union. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think maybe I think maybe one or two might be union, but I haven't been on a union one yet. What's so. the What's the um, it's like roses fall from the ceiling? I think um, parts. Yeah, somehow. Well, I mean, it all depends. I mean, so you, you get a gig on a union show, and then you get lucky enough to have a line. Then you get a then you get a voucher, a SAG voucher, and I think you got to get three SAG vouchers. Then you're SAG eligible, and then you got to pay you know an entry fee, and then you got to pay dues. I got that, that mean to get constant work, or does that mean you? No, get... it doesn't. Hell, no, it doesn't mean constant right. work. <laughs> you okay. mean you get? Well, you you get you get. <laughs> residual, you'll definitely get residuals from what SAG work you get. Being SAG might help you. Be well, okay. Being SAG helps you get SAG approved bigger roles. You know, like it's complicated. Like, let's say for example, let's say for example, House of Cards. I'm not gonna. Being non-union, if I'm on House of Cards, chances of me getting a line is slim to none. But mm-hmm. since I'm SAG, they're like, okay, this guy's SAG, this guy's union, he'll get the line. But if I need to, but but if I'm trying to get SAG, I got to get a line, right? Right. But how do I get the line if I'm not SAG? This it's, is it's, whole, like this is the whole um, thing. Like it's some weird, like it's it's all uh it's all an insider's. This is where this is where that like weird, um, like Hollywood thing where you have to know someone to know someone um, who knows someone else to, in order to get like the SAG card in order to get in the door. Yeah. And Netflix doesn't have a submission process. Did you know that? No. They don't have a submission process. The whole process is, and I found this out. Um, you have to know someone. That's it. I it's guess. on their website. You, you, the, we do not sub, uh, accept any submissions. And so I was like, well, what the, f-? <laughs> they just put that on the website. So, and then I went to like Amazon, Amazon, same way. Um, and then, but they'll have like, um, they'll have guidelines or at least they used to on how to shoot. Um, even those are taken away now. So I guess, I guess people were just submitting garbage, just endless supplies of garbage that people had to wait through. And they were like, stop. Um, I, I think, I think what, I think what Netflix and prime are backed into is, I think distribution companies are trying to stay relevant. So you have to go through a distribution company to get your thing on whatever platform or, uh, or, or 
for the first level distribution company then gets it distributed by Warner Brothers, you know, Universal in theaters or on whatever platform or Netflix, Prime or whatever. So, but like these, 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 these uh, primary level mm-hmm. distributors or whatever the case may be. I really don't, I really honestly have no idea. I'm just doing like my plan has been to like release my own stuff on my own channels get some and 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 just reach out to people like like you said it's it's know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody and that's why i'm just spamming the shit out of people that have warner on their linkedin or disney on their linkedin and i'm uh, and and i just i just reach out to them like hey uh i have this web i have this fan series i have this fan web series on youtube i think you guys would i think you guys would eat it up no, we got this one gig one time. Uh, uh, we got we got we got uh, hoodwinked. Um, there was this guy that uh, they did a really good job. Um, he had uh, he, they set up an email account to. Uh, we didn't think anything of it at the time, but they set up a Warner Bros. dot com email account, which is very clever um, because that is not Warner Brothers email accounts. Anyway, he posed as a Drake's um, producer and uh, uh, wanted us to film uh, something in DC for Drake's um, uh, DJ. And, uh, and so we were like, hell yeah. And he's like, you got to film tonight. Um, we needed a crew, uh, we needed an emergency crew. And we were like, all right, where are you guys? Um, we're like, just pay the deposit. And they're like, like we have to go through the banks, so we did all this bank information, and uh, everything seemed kind of legit. Like even the invoice they had forged, and then um, we had the weirdest night I've ever had in my life. Maybe was sitting around in this Uber with this kid that didn't talk, um, that was playing at being a DJ for Drake, and uh, we spent four hours with him. It was so bizarre. There's so much, so much weird footage. Uh, it's delightful, and uh, we got back. We were like, "What the fuck happened? What 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 did we just what what happened?" And we broke it all down and started going through like uh, the email chain and found out like uh, we contacted Drake and their producers, and they were like, "Yeah, this is a false account. Um, you know, the ca- account is Warner Bros, not Warner Brothers." <laughs> and like all this shit. And anyway, we laughed about it for a long time. But I was kind of amazed at the uh, sort of the. Um, how clever this uh, this this was! <laughs> Jeez, oh, oh! I, I'll, I'll send you the I'll send you the clip of it. It was surreal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, every once in a while, you know, I every once in a while I'll talk on the phone with somebody. See, most of the times I want things in writing. You know, I want everything in email form, text form. If it's done through Production Hub or it's done through Backstage or whatever the case, LinkedIn, I want it in writing. But there is, there does need to be that initial phone call. It's like, hey, let, we'll we'll chat on the phone. We'll talk a little bit, and then you know, I'll email you back. You know, re uh, reiterating the terms of this, that, and the other thing. I'll send you a deal memo. Blah 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 blah. And you know, like that first phone call, I'll get it. I'll get a feel like this guy or this gal just does is not making fucking sense to me whatsoever. And it. And that phone call has helped. And and what really throws me off, what where I definitely know someone's full of shit is I will if I email somebody and then they call me back with an answer, 
and they just blah, 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 blah. And they're not even going near the answer. I'm, I'm going to be like, well, you know what? Let me think about this. Let me get back to you. And then I'll just write another email. Like I'm not interested because that's definitely a red flag. I write you an email with a question or a concern and you don't write that answer. You don't confirm that in writing. You're going to call me and just blab on Again, but that's that's um, some of the yeah. old world some of the old world um, meeting styles are, are, are yeah. different too. You know, like um, like uh, sixty year olds, sixty year old plus love fucking um, uh, meeting in person, and uh, they like to they don't submit, they hate emails, and and you know are, they want to talk on the phone all the time, and oof, I am. Good point. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird, it's a weird style. It's, it's, you know, just because we're younger though. And that style, that sort of stuff is changing. Like now that COVID's come, everyone's doing this, you know, video, video stuff now and, and, and trying to be their own um, sort of lighting technician, which is its own sort of nightmare. <laughs> um, as you know, as you well know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we've done, we've done like, We've tried to. Uh, my my girlfriend works for an organization that does um, political consulting, and um, she's they do commercials and shit like that. So she's sent out uh, uh, kits, you know, lighting kits, and they had to like explain how to put together these you know comprehensive lighting kits, and for people that have never opened up a you know a, for people that have never opened up a bounce in their lives to go to like opening up a 150 watt, like, I don't know, Fresnel. Uh, it just doesn't work and they're pointed at the face. They don't know what scrims are. And, and so uh, that's, been, that's been a challenge too, um, is trying to get these people to not make their stuff look like shit that's being recorded, like professionally recorded. Like you're, this is, so, you know, thousands of people are gonna see this and, and this is how you want, are you sure? Why, why is your head on the bottom third of the video? Right. <laughs> why are you going in out of focus? Why are you sitting and get something where you're backlit? Like uh, um, just a fundamental misunderstanding of cameras mm -hmm. um, and trying to teach this new generation how to do that. And so now what we have is, is we, the sort of film has switched over into um, um, this found footage style uh, because it's all these kids that like, that's what they're seeing every day is these shitty videos of their friends with the camera two feet away from their face so, um, you know, just like we grew up loving uh, Star Wars and Dune and Blade Runner and, and all these like hard science fiction, um, actual models, the things that I love to do, uh, I'm doing now, these kids are, are doing the same thing. And they're, they, they're making films the same way that they see the things that they like. Yeah. Uh, you know, their interests are directly represented in 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 camera um so that's going to be an interesting thing that i think is going to uh, continue to develop where does cinema go when um everyone's uh cameraman that's that's dangerous yeah well yeah you raise a good point i mean like someone was a big fan of all the found footage these found footage horror movies but you hit the nail on the head you know we were fan we were fans of the star wars and the, and the blade runners and the indiana jones I was a big fan of the Jackie Chan's. Like, if I see a fight scene, that those fast, those fast, shitty cuts, like you said, in, in some of the Bourne fight scenes and some of the uh, 
uh, it was another movie like, uh, you know, a lot of the fight scenes was uh, in the Marvel movies, you know, just too fast, too, too, too much quick cuts, like you said. And within a second, there's five cuts within, a, within, within one or two seconds of footage. Yeah, you can't do a close up of the guy's face because it's not the actual actor in there. So there's all these like wides of like, you know, uh, martial art, martial artist experts in like, you know, spandex. And they intercut that with like close ups of the face. And it's not like it's not like Jackie Chan in um, Rumble in the Bronx, where he is um, tossing himself horizontally through a ladder rung um, and kicking a guy on the other side. Right. Like one shot. One shot. One. And it's, yep. you know, it, it, and it was it was the third take. But it was but <laughs> every take was one shot up, fifth it back to one and the ones like six hits prior um and like or even uh even um jet lee i, I think was the yeah. last big one right the last big um martial artist that did his own his own stunts that i can think of um and now it's just like stuntman on green screen well i mean to be fair i should say with marvel yeah they have they have doubles they're, they're doing really good fight scenes you know you might get lucky since uh uh, 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 Captain America's double might be wearing the Captain America mask or the Winter Soldier's wearing like that that long hair and that half mask and so they can get away with it and they're doing good fight scenes yeah I mean those scenes are yeah they're oof. but it's they're, and, and I, but I, see I'm not mad at the double see that's the magic of filmmaking I'm not mad that someone's using a double Jackie Chan is an anomaly in and of itself but having yeah, that not everyone can be Jackie Chan I know that was a that was a but, that was probably you a know, bad example <laughs> Not well, sort of, but that you know that 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 uh, that style of fighting, you know, is what I prefer. And so, even though it's even though Chris Evans and uh, Sebastian Stan have doubles, those guys are doing that big, wide, long, intense fight scene with like seventeen, eighteen moves, cut, reposition, seventeen, eighteen more moves, cut. Of course, it's going to be a double. That's the magic of filmmaking. But like you said, like people want to work around this fight scene with a cut on every hit, a cut, two cuts within a hit. I mean, it's just it's jarring and and like you're taking, taking, you're taking me out of it. Well, and so, also they're, they're breaking rules. They're breaking really standard rules that, um, um, like uh, the switch, the switching axis. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen in multiple fight scenes, and by the by the time you're done with it. Where are you? I have no idea where we are in relation to the space. Right. And you know what needs to do anything? Because they're on a freaking blue screen. What is it? That 180, that 180 rule on the blue screen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> um, you know, all this stuff. I, I, I don't get it. I, there's, I mean, again, I watched, we, we do this, um, uh, where we watch Lord of the Rings for uh, the, all three of them, the special editions for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, some of the, some of the practical effects, man, I just, I'm in love with it. I'm in love with the practical effects. Yeah. I don't know. If, I, I, it's not dying, but I don't think there hasn't been one. Lord of the Rings is as far away from us as Lord, at, from us now as Lord of the Rings was from Star Wars when Lord of the Rings was produced. So, you know, is it, uh, is it dying or is it just so difficult and so, uh, so much of a like a one man band sort of uh, one guy's like strive for excellence um, 
that kind of consumes them a la Peter Jackson and George Lucas. Um, is that why these things aren't being made anymore? Right. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but, but on the opposite side, that's, I, I was a huge, like Endgame was phenomenal. I thought those guys did an amazing job with that. Um, the brothers, right? Yeah, Russo brothers. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Russo brothers. That's right. Yeah, Man. but you know, I, I mean, I've brought up the thing, John Carpenter's the thing, a number of times, you know, on this podcast, and not only was it, you know, ninety five percent practical, the thing was like all these different crazy, you know, visual, practical, conceptualized versions of the thing. But as far as the crafting of the story goes, you know, he broke all the horror rules. He showed the thing within minutes of the opening credits. And it was all practical and it was gory and it was violent. The biggest play in that film was no women, all men, paranoid, looking over each other's shoulder, not trusting anyone. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any cheap, cheap thrills like a scream queen screaming. And, and, and there, was no, there was no cheap thrills like that. It was all guys not trusting each other you know right it was it was the well it had a it had a the story wasn't about the the alien the real story was about like what is like paranoia yeah um that that's the real thing there and and like what happens with um what happens with sequels um inevitably is that they think that it was about the alien and not about the story the story is is not it's decidedly just six guys in a room thinking that the other guy's going to kill them that's the that's it that's all there is and the, the 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 practical effects are something that john carpenter and his team sort of worked out i'm sure i'm sure it was within a hair's breadth of looking like the goofiest thing you've ever seen but again i think that's like a director where he was just like all right we'll go the extra mile we'll film it this way we'll put it in darkness can it walk? Um, what do we need to make it do that? And 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 uh, uh, like the the thing sequel is a great example of how how it and it's almost a shot for shot remake, I think. Um, but they lost the they, they lost the idea. Yeah. Well, they you know I think somewhere between production they they decided not to make it a, a remake, but they made it a prequel. A prequel or something like that. Well, I th- or or I forget. No, it was. Sorry, it wasn't. I think I think, I think develop. I, no, I think development and prep was all about a, a remake. I think it was a last minute decision to make it a prequel. They changed a lot of things last minute. But what you're seeing is like the majority of it being having been prepped for a remake, and the uh, whether there was going to whether 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 there was always going to be a female involved in the remake or not. But they threw in a female lead to make this different but then last minute they decided to make it a prequel they threw in they're trying these because i know i know i know exactly why it's because they they tested it with a, a an audience and they're, yeah. they're using like um that's what it was they're using like uh, feedback scores to produce a movie who that how that doesn't that sounds like the worst idea because how many times are you going to go back to the drawing board to it's worth like Listen, I mean, sometimes that feedback, that test audience shit has worked. It has worked. I wish I had some examples. I was just watching something about, I was watching a, a documentary about that, about the t- uh, like test audiences and how 
what we saw and what we loved was the was the response from a test audience. But I can't agree with you more. I think studios rely too much on that. I think that should be I think that should be an ingredient to consider. But it can't. But but I don't. And, and maybe uh, for a director, if a director's torn between two endings, if the director's torn between the pace or something, you know, to, to test, sure to test it out. I, 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 can, I can agree with that to an extent, but I think what's happened with that test audience shit is they make that the end all be all. Oh, no, reshoots, completely rewrites, complete reshoots, complete. And it's like, well, dude, also, you, 10 you people, can, you, huh? Right. Also, like it makes it easier because there is, you can, they're they're like oh we're not going to use a creature it's going to be green screen anyway so just take the actor go into this thing and just do a new scene there's nothing there's no there's, well, they, yeah. take, they take the immediate they take the artistry away when you can <clears throat> sort of have, have the actor go ah and like then just draw on a monster um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh you know it, it's, it's probably somewhere it's a combination of all of the things um um but I, is it is it also like the studio not giving enough uh the audience enough of a, a trust like that they're gonna get it um you know where did that disappear you know the you have to have faith in your audience that they're gonna understand certain aspects of the film and not like try and dub it down for them like a like you would a child and then sort of then you have like this milk toast the thing remake where yeah. nobody goes to see it and yeah i mean that's just a waste of time there's been there's been films that were greenlit and they were successful and I bought a ticket to it and I didn't like it. There's been <laughs> films that were successful in the theater released did well. Avatar. And I bought it and I bought a ticket. Avatar was all right. It wasn't great. It was all right. I get I get it. It was a cool flick. It was fine. It was fine. But like there have been movies where I bought a ticket. I mean shit. So you you can't. But but also it's like. How big is the test audience? 10 people, 15 people, 20 people out of 20 million? Right. So it's like you can you can give some stake to that. You know, like some like uh it's also a matter of taste, right? I guess. Yes. Yeah, like uh, not not every fucking horror movie has to be the exact same fucking horror movie. And Rob, I don't think Rob Zombie does test audience. Rob Zombie does whatever the shit he wants, and I've liked, with the exception of uh, Three from Hell, I've liked all of his movies. Wasn't Three from Hell his latest one? It was like, was yeah, I, I think it was the third Devil's Rejects movie. Yeah. And it was um, just, I, saw, I, I didn't like it. And that's, and that's me personally, and I like his stuff. And I don't think, uh, I don't really think Tarantino gives a shit about uh, test audiences either. Yeah. And but some but somewhere Tarantino wanted to like make movies super long, super long talking, and then to just have like this super climactic ending. That the uh, I think it started with Death Proof, where it was like the girls just talking and talking and talking, and then it got to like this horrific murder, and then another batch of girls just talking and talking and talking, and then it was like one of the one of the greatest car chases i think i've ever seen filmed so such an intense ending to death proof um but now that, was that double one right the, the, well yeah it was part of grindhouse and death proof was uh yeah. stunt what was it stuntman mike with that with that death proof car yeah. but it was yeah it was a part of grindhouse which made matters even worse man because i i went and saw grindhouse 
and then the trailers are part of like the little mini right. the, the, those the trailers during the intermission were a part of like the mini story so i'm sitting there having to pee so bad but I, <laughs> I i stayed in the theater i think for five straight hours just watching the full grindhouse was it really that long oh my yeah God. i think it was five hours i think each movie is two and a half maybe 225 and then they had that intermission with the fake trailers and then, the, and then one of them, the machete trailer, turned into the mach- turned into the movie machete. So, I mean, the guy's in love with his own, with his own uh, 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 pen, let's say. Um, yeah. But you know, he put again singular vision, and 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 he can. Some of those scenes are phenomenally well directed. I mean. I'm not a studio head, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I know what it's like to be in charge of twenty five million dollars, fifty million dollars, and 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 so it's like you've got all these other aspects that go within that. But it's like, listen, if you hired a director to make his own script, or you hired a director that has a great understanding of the script and a great vision, you know, you have to kind of trust that. The guy has a good track record. You kind of have to trust that. And it's not, I don't know. He's like a taste, it's, a, it's a tastemaker. It's like, um, yeah. he's, he's the one where everyone, he's, they, they, uh, it's just like the, it's just like the Born Identity movies. Like every, they were like, oh, that's a, that's a great example of a good action movie. Let's do more of that. And then you get all of these, uh, subpar replicates um that it actually starts to parody the one good one you know yeah um, and that's what we have with you know there is there is quentin tarantino films all over the place and all of the dialogue sounds bad now um because it is bad dialogue quentin tarantino is a, i think a terrible um writer but he has a voice and it is a very distinct voice and if tarantino does it it's fine when other people are doing Tarantino. It sounds like garbage. Um, yeah. I, I'm only going to go see one Tarantino movie. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, you have to trust the director. Um, and I have to get going. Yeah. All right. Awesome, man. This is well, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank. Well, thank uh, Patrick. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, yeah, it, it, we rocked out a good, you know, a good, a good, ep- good episode, good conversation. A lot of great stuff. A lot of great ideas. A lot of. A lot of um, a lot of great sharing of ideas and i'm definitely inspired and continue to be inspired uh before i let you go any plugs links socials you want to put out there uh yeah please go to uh so i was a bit ambitious um with my kickstarter goal which is uh, f- uh fifty thousand dollars which i know was ridiculous um but i wanted to see how kickstarter works and how does patreon work how does GoFundMe work and all these different uh, places. So I'm I'm actually learning a lot about the funding process, which is like a whole could be a whole another episode. Um, but um, yeah, please go to Kickstarter um, slash Body Electric, and if you want to donate, that'd be great. But that's not really the point of it. Um, I'd really like you to uh, share. Um, that's that's as simple as it is, and and the more people find out about it, um, the easier it is for me to make. Um, so go to thebodyelectric.org or Kickstarter slash um, Body Electric uh, and uh, spread the love. Awesome. Uh, you check it. Well, you heard it here. Uh, links links to uh, Patrick's stuff in the description below. And Patrick, again, I can't thank you enough for coming on and chatting up with me and 
and uh, you know help, helping helping me and yourself and I guess the what viewers I do have get through the quarantine you know with, with some semi entertaining shit if if not really entertaining shit. I would love to do it again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. To my viewers, I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and viewership. I know my guest has. Until next time, you know what to do.